I am unashamed. What about you? So we're back with the Unashamed crew. Zach's still with us. Hello, Zach. Two in a row. Two in a row. Three in a row. Well, two days in a row. There's three podcasts in a row. That's right. Yeah. You're back in. I'm here to stay. Back in. Here to stay. I told, as I said before we got started, that because we've been doing a lot of podcasts, Jace had a lot of travel coming up, and so we've been kind of burning the midnight oil, as they say, getting our podcast in, and um, we're like day-old bread. We got old fresh Zach coming in from North Carolina. He's like (laughs) a fresh bakery of ideas. Right, Zach. Yeah, Jay. I, well, I said I wanted to revisit the Transfiguration, and, but you guys have been hitting on it for. A, <laughs> it's about such six a good episodes. text. It's hard to leave. I get it. It's it's good. Yeah, I, I think this section of Luke though is just a. Uh, it's a really profound. Month. You're realizing. Well, Dad's been alluding to it for a while. It, it is the the pivotal point of going yeah. forward in the book. Which you know, we we were talking a little bit about this on the last podcast with Bowles but just about having the scriptures and what they mean. Cause we were talking about a lot of antiquities and writings and cause we got into Josephus, but you know, you think about how blessed we are to have this, that this physician, Luke, this, this early follower that took it upon himself, you know, again, empowered by the spirit, I get it. But I mean, to write this book and also the book of Acts which you take those two together and you think about what we know about the early church and, yeah. and Jesus and what he did in his ministry. I mean, like, it, you know, I we always talk about John because Jay's and I both love the book of John. But if you had to take something to describe the whole 30-year period of how it got cranked up, Luke and Acts is pretty much it. I mean, Luke, Luke did us a great service by, you know, following the Holy Spirit's lead to write these books for sure. What's the, no, no what's, what's the text that... Enemies of the cross. Uh, what what verse is that? Yeah, they, they, they they are enemies of the cross. Is that in Corinthians? Yeah. He he finally identifies the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders. And this is a wide swath of modern day uh, people under law, chief priests and teachers of the law. He, he, in their minds, he must be killed on the third day be raised to life. Philippians 3. Philippians 3. Describe them as enemies of the cross, which is a pretty blunt way of describing the people you're up to get up against. And then the, the, then they're all on top of that mountain talking it over. You know, I don't know how that conversation went. You know, it was, but, but everybody up there started glowing, so... I don't know. It was a big event, real so, big. So Philippians three eighteen, Dad. For as I have often told you before, and I say again, even with tears, many live as enemies yeah. of the cross. Yeah. Well, that was early on, even pre pre death on the cross, burial, and resurrection. That that was the, that was the enemies, but yeah. they were just bluntly identified here. Right. What a category. That's a pretty pretty big swath of his 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 what we're up against here. Yeah. What a category to be in. Oh, an enemy of the cross. Yeah. It also says their mind is on earthly things. Yeah. Their destiny is destruction. You know, I mean, everything, I they're driven by the desires of the oh. flesh, you know, because it said their stomach is there. Yeah. Is but there. while I was what he's looking, saying is, is these people, uh, you know, he's they're winning some, but they're not the, 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 the people, the law keepers are not on their side. No. At this point in Jesus' yeah. stay on planet Earth. Right. They were not on, on, on members of his crowd. They were against him. Right. And if you think about it, I guess there was a small, small chance that this thing may not, may, may not, may not work. Well, we've but said it did work. So. We've said this before, and we have to keep bringing it up on the podcast because when, you're, when you have a narrative in your mind of how something is supposed to go, yeah, and then when it actually begins to happen, and it doesn't fit the narrative you've always thought it was going to be, yeah, then you have a hard time embracing it, and that's what was happening even with Jesus' supporters, because they had it in their mind it was going to go a certain way, but then Jesus didn't fit that what what their bill was of the Messiah, so they were having a hard time embracing it, you know. And then when he tells them he has to die, 
it just blows their mind because they're like, well, that that'll be all of that. Yeah. What do you What do you think they thought when in, in Mark nine when Jesus said, uh, right before the transfiguration, six six days before the transfiguration, he says, "I tell you the truth, so, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power." What What do you think that they thought when he said that? What was their what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think they had no idea what. I mean, I, I think they thought he meant that in our lifetime we're going to be we're going to see this yeah. restoration of Israel and we're going to be in charge. And I think they thought this is it. This is what we've been. This is what we've been talking but about. They weren't all so you, you're in. Exactly right. Oh, you get over there and right there when Jesus was crucified, a lot of them hit the road, and the rest of them they, they just didn't get it. Right. That you could win by dying because they always thought you need to live on. Right. But but well, he's going to do it on the other side. I can almost promise His you. His death on the cross is going to bring it all together. But you wouldn't think. I can almost promise you what they didn't think was he would die and then we would all die in a similar way yeah, yeah. to usher yeah. in the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably not what they were thinking. No, I think that's why they probably thought when he said, and I'll come back to life three days later, they were probably thinking in some kind of spiritual, yeah, you know, spiritual way, but the kingdom would already have been established. We'll be in control. We'll be on our thrones, you know. Yeah, he's going to, he's going to, you know, it's kind of like the guy's like, I'll die for you. You know, tells his wife that, and then three weeks later they file for divorce, you know. Yeah. It's like, what happened to this? You're going to die for me stuff. You know, I mean, it, it just, it's something that I think they didn't understand, so they therefore dismiss. Because they're still talking about, same chapter, who's going to be the greatest and where we're going to sit at the head yeah. of the <laughs> new throne. Yeah. And it was a struggle. There's a lot of times when I talk to men's groups, Jason, we're talking marriage and they'll, they'll split us up, you know, so I got the men, Lisa's got the women and I love to set them up and I say, how many of you in here? And I usually tell a story first about someone that went to bat for their wife and put their life on the line. So how many of you in here would die for your wife and your family? Of course, you know, almost every hand goes up and I said, man, that's awesome. But how many of you would do it every day? Because that's really what we're talking about here. Yeah. The, yeah. the the one chance of somewhere down the line of you having to give your life for your family, that may or may not happen. I'm glad you're willing to make that sacrifice. But are you willing to die for and them every day? Because when you talk about what Jesus talked about back here in Luke, it's a daily it's a daily death, right? I mean, it's that's what carrying your cross means. I mean, it's actually true. Anybody who's done a lot of listening to uh, you know, a married couple that – that seems to have lost their way. It's the exact same principle you see here. Because yeah. I always give the same advice. Stop talking and start listening. Stop talking. Because it, it, it's, yeah. it's the same. Everything that happens is just a narrative to then continue the conversation of, you know, from the woman's perspective, it's all his fault. Now, I'm talking about, you know, marriage that's really been, they lost their way for years, you know. Yeah. And then when you get to the woman, she's like, well, it's all his fault. He's like, well, it's all her fault. And no matter what is said, everything that happens is put into that narrative. And I, I see a similar thing here where once they had made up their mind on what the new kingdom was going to look like, they weren't listening <laughs> to what Jesus was describing. They just weren't. There's no other. Yeah. There's no other... Uh, and even when they were quiet, they weren't listening because they didn't understand. Remember, it says they didn't understand what he was saying. Well, now, it does say the message... We, we talked about this, Zach, before you came back, but it was hidden from them. It, it's, it's said many times in either Mark, Matthew, even John, or, you know, or Luke's account here. They weren't, they, they, it was hidden from their understanding. Now, it might the reason for that might have been... Just because they their own did have this narrative, narrative right. yeah, or it could be the evil one, you know, in Matthew's account. This is right in the same time period when it says, uh, you know, Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. He yeah. told that to Peter when he was, I mean, that was right after he said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. That's right. And then a paragraph later, Jesus is calling him Satan. Yeah. 
So but that's a good point because you know Bowles made the point on the last podcast that on the road to Emmaus, the scriptures John says, I guess, or is it Luke? It's Luke. Luke, Luke twenty four. Yeah, Luke says that he opened their minds so that they could understand the scripture. I mean, when he was sharing with them, you yeah, know, when he was having the meal with them. So maybe you're right, Jess. There may be something more to that than just their own following of the narrative. I don't know. Well, it's a hard thing well, to I mean, explain. I think, I think you know. Ahead, yeah, I think you when you when you try to wrap your mind, your earthly mind, that's not, you know, something that where the spirit hasn't revealed it to you. You try to wrap your mind around a God who would incarnate. I mean that 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 itself is kind of a hidden idea, just because it's so bizarre. You know, yeah. you think about, but you th- look at the narrative here at the Transfiguration. Yeah, you know, Mark's account. It's directly after that is when he says. The Son of Man must uh, must be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after three days, he will rise. So he starts out with this picture of power, um, at, at least how they would perceive power. I went back and did a little research the last couple of days on this because I thought it was so interesting that what conversation we got into about the the Moses and Elijah and, and Jesus is up there talking with both of them, and Moses represents the law. Elijah, the, the the prophets, the prophecies, and Jesus is the fulfillment of all that. The person of Jesus. I mean, we we hit that in the last episode. But another area that I think um, this because there's so many layers here to this text. But um, in Exodus 19, well, first of all, Moses and Elijah. This is what's interesting. They both encountered God as fire on Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. I found that to be interesting. But so when they encountered him in the Old Testament, when they had an encounter with the living God of the Old Testament, they encountered him as fire. Moses in Exodus 19, when it says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. And the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So there's like this earthquake on the mountain. Same kind of thing in First Kings 19. This is when Elijah has an encounter with God on um but in my translation, it calls it Mount Horeb, which is the same place as Mount Sinai. But that right. translates into glowing heat, most likely reference to the sun. So you got both of these guys who represent the law on one side and all the prophecies on the other side. And when when the law and the prophet encounters the living God, they encounter him as fire. And then here Jesus is on the Mount of Transfiguration having a conversation with both of these guys who had already had encounters with God in the old Testament as fire. And now they're encountering Jesus as fire. And cause he was glowing, he was radiating. And it's and the, the, the bigger point here, I think is that this is like a moment that, that we see like Jesus is declaring, Hey, you know, that guy in the old Testament, the God who met with, with Elijah on Mount Sinai, the God, the living God who met with, with Moses on Mount Sinai, and, and it's this moment where it's like, yeah, that was me. So th- this is this is a, a, a claim of of divinity. It's a claim of of that's a he is the high priest here. He is the king here. This is a, a claim of of the power of God that you're seeing on this same exact mountain. What's the significance of this mountain? We could probably have a whole series of podcasts on that. But but this is God meeting with man. And I think that's the part that was so difficult for it's so difficult for us to see, right? Because for us, it's like, man, to think about us even being able to have a meeting with God, that right there is just, I mean, that that's beyond human comprehension that we could have a meeting with God, period. And I think that's when he says that the kingdom's going to come in power. I think I actually think this is something very significant going on here in direct relationship to that to what Jesus said was coming and what's happening here on Mount Sinai at the Transfiguration. So every day we hear uh, about, unfortunately, about another familiar brand that sells out their customers uh, and goes woke. Um, Zach, I, I think it's fair to say it seems like about every month it's a new big company that just seems to do this and it's getting them into a lot of trouble because Americans are kind of sick and tired of that. And uh, woke mobile companies are no different. Uh, for years, they've been dumping millions of dollars into liberal causes. And because we need cell phones, you get kind of stuck on the situation, but no more. Uh, one of our sponsors is a company called Patriot Mobile. 
and they've been with us a long time, and we appreciate their support. They're America's only Christian conservative wireless provider. They offer dependable nationwide coverage on all three major networks. So you get the same coverage you've been accustomed to in your area, minus the leftist propaganda, which is what uh, we appreciate these guys for. When you switch to Patriot Mobile, uh, you're sending a message that you support free speech, religious freedom, sanctity of life, Second Amendment. And, of course, they are big supporters of our military veterans and first responders. So we appreciate these guys. They have a 100% U.S.-based customer service team. Makes switching easy. You get to keep your phone and your number. Go to patriotmobile.com slash Phil, or you can call them at 878-PATRIOT. You're going to get free activation today with the offer code Phil. Ask about their coverage guarantee while you're there. patriotmobile.com slash Phil, or call them at 878-PATRIOT. No, Zach, I couldn't agree more. I think that's a great assessment of that picture. And I've always loved both of those. And and because both of those are the idea of relationship. Because you remember the context, Moses is there. And he's pretty isolated because, remember, they, they've like, where where did he go? You know, he just, he'd been gone. He's up there doing what God told him to do. It's 40 days. They're, they're beginning to get antsy on the ground. And in Elijah's case, he had just come off this fantastic victory, much like Moses with the Exodus, mm-hmm. but the same deal. Like uh, Ahab and Jezebel still rejected him, and he took it so much to heart that he was just ready to go. He was ready to die. And both times, God reaches out to both of them through fire and says, I am. And and yeah. it, you're, you make a great point because I think the seeing that in Jesus is a whole new paradigm for the disciples because— Yahweh up until this point had n- always appeared unapproachable and and not able to connect to and Jesus is now bringing this this concept that Yahweh is here in flesh the concept of father son and spirit we don't see any of that until we get to Jesus and yeah. so so they you're right that's why we're wiring whole new pathways for how God is seen and yet he does it with the imagery that they would recognize with the with the bright sun and the fire and the idea of it. Well, you would look at uh, in Genesis 15 too, you have that whole set up. I, I keep thinking about the significance of fire, smoke, clouds, you know, in terms of God's presence. But in Genesis 15, there's that scene where I'm probably going to butcher this, but um, where Abraham, he cuts the animals in half and he, and he's going to walk, you know, the, the idea was you cut these animals in half when you make a covenant and, and then you walk through one of the parties walks through or both parties walk through the middle of that, of that, that pathway where there's animals on each side, they're cut in half. And the, the idea is we're going to make a, an agreement here. And if anybody breaks this agreement, may this happen to, to you in the, may you be cut in, in half. May you die, basically, may, you're gonna lose your life. You're, you're, you're making a covenant and I'm going to, I'm going to put these animals out here. And I'm saying that if I walk through this, if I break this covenant, then may this happen to me. And so you have this scene in Genesis 15 where Abraham's doing that and he's establishing or God's establishing this covenant with Abraham. And, and, but what happens is, is when, when they walk through, when the parties walk through the, the uh, two halves of animals in the form, I think, I think it was in the form of a cloud or smoke or fire. It was the, it was only God that went through. It was only the Holy Spirit that went through. And he, basically what he was saying is if Abraham, if you break this covenant, may this happen to me, not you, may this happen to me. And it's the first picture that we have of this God who would take on the wrath himself. He would satisfy, satisfy his wrath through his own sacrifice. Uh, he, he died in our place. And so, when you get to the Mount of Transfiguration, like all this is happening here, particularly in Mark nine and Luke nine, both of them, it, it's this idea of of God establishing establishing Himself here to us as I am, like Jesus is the God of the Old Testament, and then He predicts that I'm going to have to I'm going to have to walk through uh, the, those that, that covenant. I'm t- I'm making the covenant, and I'm going to fulfill the covenant. Not you, not anything you've done. And I think where that where that kind of comes to full fruition is in Second Corinthians three, whenever um, Paul references that Moses going up to Mount Sinai, and he talks about him experiencing the radiance of God. 
But then he comes back down and he says, but now in Christ, we with unveiled faces, we can actually see the glory of God because of the Holy Spirit. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So you see all the members here in this moment. I think that's one of the most profound things, because this is a key text in Scripture in, in Luke 9, that there is a, this is like one of those crescendo moments right, right here that's happening with all of this. Well, I think most people are still waiting on the kingdom. This, no, would, this would be a good lesson to show them. No, you're right. And, and Zach's place, he's talking about Genesis 15, is a great place to look at that because the role of Abraham, because when, when he made that covenant, Zach, that you were describing, the covenant was the land, he said, because at the end of that chapter in Genesis 15, he says, I'm going to give you this land. Then he describes it. Well, we're, what, what was called the promised land in the Old Testament, which to dad's point is physical Israel, even to this day. Yeah. But it was never about the land. It was about the faith. It was about Abraham's response to Zach's yeah. point. Only God could fulfill. So. Again, it's a narrative. People thought, well, the whole thing was about that little piece of property over there that's next to the, you know, sea. But that's not it. That it wasn't about the land. I mean, the land was no, part it never of was. it. I, yeah, I mean, and this gets really controversial with uh, a lot of uh, religious groups, but I, to me, I think you get that moment. I, I, all this to me is you can't separate the gospel from the kingdom. Uh, you just can't. And and so there's that moment in um when we went through Mark and right before Jesus or when he goes and he cleanses the temple, do you remember what he's the reason why he, what, what he was so angry about? Remember, do you, I don't know if you guys remember what he said. He said, you, he said something to the effect of you've taken the, this house of worship for all, for the nations and you've turned it into a den of robbers. And I mean, we, we missed this part that think about what he said there, that the, the temple was a house of worship for the nations that, yep. Now, if, if you're if if you are if you're in in Israel and you're Jewish at this time period, then that would be like, wait, I, I wonder if they caught on that. So wait, hold on a second. What are you talking about for the nations? There's only one nation, yeah, only one matters, God, right. and it is, it, yeah, and it's not all the nations. It's the nation of Israel. But even 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 in the Old Testament, though, you see this all the way through it, and you see this idea of the kingdom. You see the threads of the kingdom. So when Jesus comes. One of the big things that he's establishing here is that, hey, in Romans, Paul talks about this in Romans 9. It's not the descendants of Israel who are Israel. So he says, it's not the DNA. It's not, you, you thought that when, when I made this covenant with Abraham, you thought it was about this physical place and you thought it was about people who shared this DNA. And that's not what I had in mind in, in, in any of that. It was never about that. At the end of Romans 9, he says that it was it was always about the children of faith. Those who would pursue God by faith are Israel. That's Israel. That's that's the that that's us. That's the kingdom. And I think that that's why to this day it's it's the the idea of what Jesus is accomplishing here is is so mind boggling to us. But but when you go back and you see these moments like in the Transfiguration, it's like all that Old Testament stuff. All of a sudden, it makes sense. All, all of that stuff starts to pop. You're like, oh, that's what that was about. That's what that was about. That was a foreshadowing of, of him. Which is why I think that was one of the reasons why that Moses and Elijah, who you both mentioned, is interesting because it would seem like they were both uh, pulled out short of their ultimate goal if you weren't looking at it from God's perspective. Because right when they get to the promised land, they're ready to go in. Moses let them out. 400 year yeah. promise back to Abraham. And guess what? He says, no, Moses, you, you climb up here on this mountain and you and I are going to have a convo and you're not going to go in. And Elijah, when he gets right to the point of when Israel finally understands some things, guess what happens to him? A tornado comes along and pulls him right up as well. And even John the Baptist, who we talked about, think about John the Baptist. He's the forerunner. He points to Christ. And we get right here to the point where the kingdom is about to take off. And guess what? John doesn't get to see it. They he loses not, his head in a prison. They did not yeah. understand what this meant. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They did not know what that meant. It was hidden from them. Now, God had a role to play. Satan had a role to play. You know, who did the hiding? I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So that they did not grasp it. 
and they were afraid to ask him about it. <laughs> to this day, it looks like to me that's their thinking. Yeah, they just don't. They're they're. It's just implanted so deep. Yeah, I think I, I think it's something about the narrative. Let's take another break. So, Jace, um, it's uh, not hunting season, but hunting season is right around the corner. Six weeks yeah. teal season. I saw, it's coming, right? I saw a lot of teal where I was. I was in the northwest, Ooh. right below Canada. And there, every little puddle had a bunch of blue wing and green wing teal. They're getting ready to, getting getting ready ready. to move. So it's got everybody in the mood. So uh, what we do in our preparation is make sure that all of our equipment is ready to go. Uh, part of that is making sure that our weapons are clean and ready to fire. Uh, in fact, uh, our friends at Barrel Buddy, uh, they're based in Michigan, uh, so not too far from where you were up there, Jay. So they understand about that early hunting as well. Great company, great Christian guys. Uh, we really enjoy partnering with them. They've come up with a great product uh, that Jay says there in front of him uh, that helps make sure that your barrels are clean. Uh, they get all the residue out of there. They make these white polymers. They'll fit any uh, shotgun gauge. They'll fit any rifle, any pistol to make sure uh, that you have a clean weapon. So check them out. BarrelBuddy.com is where you can go to look at them. B-A-R-R-E-L Buddy.com. Check them out. Well, I've been trying to say this for a few podcasts, so I don't think it's registering. But uh, this, this maybe it's registering. We're just not listening. No, I don't think you're listening. So this word that Jesus, when it says he was discussing his the English translators, we don't we don't have a word for you know for Exodus that I think accurately depicts what the conversation was here because. The Exodus was all about leaving and arriving. So when we see departure, Jesus is on the mountain. I'm going to try this one one more time. Jesus was on the mountain discussing his departure, which is the word Exodus. It's used three times. Peter referenced it in in memory of this occasion and then applied it to his own departure. Mm -hmm. So... Here's here's what I'm saying. The the word there was Jesus was bringing there was a new liberation that was going to arrive. And so he's concerning his death but also his resurrection because Zach was right. You can't have the gospel without the kingdom. In Luke's gospel, the kingdom is mentioned 41 times. 53 in Matthew. Well, that's a lot. A whole lot. So you have this yeah. prediction of the kingdom. So so here's my point, and you, you were close on this, uh, Zach, to making the same point. So when he said, right before the transfiguration, when describing his death, burial, and resurrection, which would be the foundation of the kingdom as far as the yeah. king, the liberation of the, of the earthly things. To go back to you said the enemies of the cross, what are they focused on? They're focused on earthly things. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. next verse in Philippians says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. Well, that's the arrival part uh, of the kingdom, that, the resurrection. And, I, and I'll, I'll give you a, for instance. So when he says in verse 27, I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. Well, that's the kingdom's arrival. But they're only they're not getting past the word death, departure. If you're yeah. leaving, well, we're what, what 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 this party ends, so, which then makes sense to where he got into John saying, "You won't understand this unless I leave." Yeah, John fourteen through because the Spirit's going to be poured out. Then, well, that's going to help you with your understanding. Just think, not having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit versus having it. Think about. Having seen a resurrected Lord come back from the dead rather than trying to understand it before. This is why John the Baptist was having doubts. They're all when you when they hear the word departure, you immediately think, Oh, well that this party ended. And that that's why 
I think it's a different, that word is really, if it just said Exodus and you focused on there's a freedom from the bondage and it's taking you to a new place and you're going to see that happen in your lifetime. There's a new order. The cosmic, there's a cosmic shift that's fiction to happen oh, yeah. when I die and I'm resurrected and the spirit's being poured out. The, the kingdom is actually going to arrive on the planet <laughs> despite all the suffering, despite all the evil. So if you go read, then I'll let Zach comment, but if you go read all the arguments, you know, the top 30 Google searches on give me the best argument for Jesus or Christianity, you'll be very, very disappointed. It's all the cosmological argument and the ontological argument. All these, they, they go back to the beginning of, of time, you know, and they're, they're trying to make these arguments and they're missing the very fact of what Jesus is offering through the fruit of the Spirit. Those are the greatest arguments. You want real yeah. love, joy, peace, patience, you know, forget those kind of things. There's your real argument. Well, people are like, well, how is that an argument? Well, try it out and you'll see. Then you'll understand. <laughs> yeah. That's good, man. Yeah, I, I agree. I love all those arguments. I've read them all and studied them. But yeah, at the end of the day, you, you get down to where's the real power. Because you, you mentioned that verse that when he says that, that the kingdom is coming in power. And then you see what he says in like the next part of the text. And you're like, how is that powerful? How is somebody dying powerful? How is, it, how is your departure powerful? And I think that's the cosmic paradigm shift that, that he's bringing in the kingdom is he's he's redefining what power is. And this whole podcast is based on a verse out of Romans that I want to read because I think it's key to the whole thing. When he talks, when we're talking about the kingdom coming in power, this is what Romans chapter one, verse 16 says, which is the anchor verse. When we started this podcast, every, you, all three of you guys sat in a room and basically we just, our trailer was I filmed you guys quoting this verse, and here's the verse. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power. So the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That, that's the power of the new kingdom. That's the power of the kingdom of God. It's in the gospel. It's in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because what it does is it gives us actual access now to be in God's presence that we could never have before. We could have never had it in, in any other kingdom because, because we, we, we can't go before this holy God who stands on Mount Sinai and radiates. And they, and wall, like, uh, they wall this out and, and renounce it to this day was my point. All the way to now, either Jew or yeah. Gentile. But Luke says the same thing in, in the previous verse that I just read in 26. If any, Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me in my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory. There's your power. And in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. I mean, it's the same, yeah. same as Paul wrote yeah. in, in Romans, yep. which... Zach, before you, uh, one podcast, you know, one of the things that showed that the disciples were being earthly is when they went to Samaria in verse 51 and ran across some people who did not welcome them. And so they, you know, they have an idea and it's based on what they just saw, you know, fireball Elijah is on our team. We saw the meeting. And so he says, Lord, can we, you want us to call down some fireballs from heaven to destroy them? Well, that they've missed the arrival of the kingdom. <laughs> so yeah. when you get to chapter 12, and, and we, I know this is kind of review because we went through it, but you know, Jesus in that instance said, no, just no. I mean, it was hard to explain why because obviously we're looking at this later and we, we have a better picture of it than what they had. But when he gets to verse 49 of chapter 12, he said, I have come to bring fire on the earth. 
which I'm sure the apostles were thinking, well, we tried to get some fire <laughs> brought down. <laughs> and you, you shut it down. You said no. Now you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm all about fireballs. But that's yeah. not what he was talking about because he said, how I wish it were already kindled, you know, which most people believe it's when the Spirit would be poured out. But, but there was also a fire of judgment also that he was taking upon himself on the cross. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, whichever way you fall in that line, I'm fine with both of them. But then he says, but I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. And, and every scholar I've seen say that there, he's using the word baptism as an immersion into pain and suffering and what he was going to on, on the cross, which is a complete denial of himself, which, look, ironically, our baptism symbolizes a, a complete selfless act where you're surrendering because yeah. he underwent the same immersion in the actual death, burial, and resurrection, which is the salvation and was the arrival of the kingdom of God on earth. No, I like that. And I think the role of faith in this whole process we're talking about, whether you go back to Abraham, who was the father of the faithful, um, Jay's to your point about Exodus, the original Exodus, the children of Israel, the people of God were enslaved and he took them out of Egypt to take them into somewhere else. Right. And along the way is Mount Sinai and everything Zach mentioned earlier, but what happened? How long were they out there? 40 years mm -hmm. because a whole generation couldn't accept by faith who God really was. And they didn't go into the promised land. They died in the desert. Well, when Jesus comes along, and now ushers in the new covenant, his death, burial, and resurrection. Guess how many years goes by for the generation to have an opportunity to accept him and embrace what he said in the new kingdom? 40 years. And 40 guess what years. happened at the end of the 40 years? There was a mass death of, of everything they knew in a terrible instance brought on by Rome. So I, I think the similarities, and to your point, Jace, about Exodus is, is both departure and arrival is true. And you see it, the, the archetype all throughout the Bible. You see that same thing. And I think even to Dad's point earlier, you can even come into our current generation and see what does it still take? Faith That's in who right. Jesus is. So, I mean, that hasn't changed across all generations. I mean, I, I get why people don't embrace this because they're like, well, look how much evil there is is in the world. You, then you get into all these arguments that you'll find online. Well, how come there's so many hypocritical Christians? You know, why did Jesus have to die? Why why couldn't he just, you know, for, forgive us? And, you know, where's your proof? And so even like when we went through all that thing with Josephus, you, you're not going to prove. All, all those arguments do is realize the need for faith. I mean, you get into Hebrews 11, he's like, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So yeah. you can have 175 arguments about things you can, whether you can prove all this or not, but all that proves is that you're going to need faith, which is exactly what he said in Hebrews eleven six. This is impossible. This is an impossible journey if you're going to go try to gather proof that he came back from the dead, that he was standing on this mountain. I mean, we could go over, find a mountain, say, is it? logistically possible. I mean, it. there seems to be some mountains that would qualify, but you're never going to prove it 100% beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's why his arguments were more around the heart. So when you look at Luke 15, you know, why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners? Well, a, a word came up in all the, those three parables, joy. It, he's bringing joy to human beings, a joy that you're not going to find anywhere else on the planet. It's a very good argument. It is. So those who have experienced, you know, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the suffering of Christ by their own suffering, how do you have this joy despite the world seeming like it's lost its mind and all this evil going on? Well, now you're getting into the stronger arguments of our faith here, yeah. which it's hard to explain to someone in five minutes. Because they're just looking around saying, oh, there's no joy on this planet. 
<laughs> well, and you hear it all the time, don't you, Des? You'll see somebody and they've got a large family and they're believers and you'll hear people say, look at those people. I mean, they're having eight kids and bringing them into this world as bad as it is and climate's destruction. And you hear and you'll it's joyless people that look at people who are saying, well, yeah, because this is what God called us to do. I mean, we oh, exactly. We're we're, look, the, we're, we're loving life. <laughs> look, the subtleties of this story, which I think are me. I mean, we've been in the we've been on this for days. But look, we literally had a situation where two guys, Moses and Elijah. You know, Moses has been dead two thousand years, and Elijah. I mean, this and Jesus years. is radiating, and you look over at the disciples, and they're yawning. They were asleep. They, they, they said they were sleep. They were coming out of a sleepy stupor. Well, yawns. You're yeah. like oh, that. Boy. Really describes the problem <laughs> human beings have with relating to what's going on. They were physically there. Yep. And they were like, "Oh, what's, what's this all about? It's bright. Oh, maybe we should bright light woke me up. We should build some shelter. Yeah, something's going on here. I'm not sure. <laughs> this is safe." <laughs> It's like, did you miss it? <laughs> but look, I've I've That's gone a great point. It, it, it been in front of crowds. That's a great rendition, Jason, of that pay. Well, we're like, why can't these people see it? I'm like, they're sitting on the mountain. <laughs> and they're like, oh, yeah. and look, so then they get all fired up. They're like, okay, you win. And then they run up. The next story that happens is an embarrassment. Yeah. They're like, hey, look, we, we, you gave us this power, but we can't get this demon's pesky. You know, we can't get him out. You yeah. know? And he's like, well, did you pray? Oh, we forgot that. Yeah. Cause, see, it's the <laughs> access. Because before you make fun of them, how many prayers have you given in your life where you actually weren't acknowledging that you were actually talking to God? Yeah. It, it was just words coming out. You know, I, I've I've heard some of the greatest sermons ever through someone else's prayer. Yeah, I'm like, were we praying, or was you just giving a, a you know, your, the points you missed in the first sermon? Right. You know what I mean? And look, I've done that before too. But I think that's why faith is is a difficult thing to wrap your head around. But that's why it's so central to everything because you do have to believe, and 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 that's what Jesus said. How long, oh, unbelieving. And perverse generation, how long will I put up with you? It goes back to that idea yeah. of faith. Let's take our last break. Yeah, it's funny because uh, to your point, Jace, uh, about the apologetics, which, I mean, if you know me well, you know that I love, I mean, I got a bookshelf behind me with a ton of books on apologetics and theology and systematic theology. But I will tell you, somebody asked me the other day, they said, have you ever led someone to Christ through apologetics and through these arguments, the cosmological argument, the ontological argument, teleological, all those ones you mentioned? And the truth is, is, is that I haven't for the 20 years that I've been studying. And it's been I, and I'm very grateful for, um, you know, a, a lot of the intellectual uh, apologetics because I do. I've had questions. I've had doubts. I, I want to I, I like the fact I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged as a believer when I read these, but I don't think it's the ultimate power to shape someone because at our core, it's not just about getting the right information in us and then we're going to be okay. I think more importantly, there's something deeper in us that as humans that we're not primarily thinking beings, we're primarily worshipers. I mean, that's what we are at our core. And so to really move someone in a way that's profound, I think it's, yeah, they have to have an encounter with the holy God. They have to see his glory. They have to see this transcendent beauty of a God who would incarnate and everything that's in, in, encapsulated in that. And um, I was when you said that, Jace, I was thinking that the craziest conversation we had with our neighbors the other day that we've gotten to be really good friends with. And um, and they're not believers, but they're, uh, but man, we had like the best conversations with them because it's just really honest and raw and vulnerable. And um, one of the, the girls uh, in the conversation, she said, she said, you know, because we, we have a lot of intellectual conversations about faith and hang ups and all those questions you mentioned. Why would, why would a good God allow bad things to happen to people? Uh, you know, how can we prove his existence? How do we know the Bible's reliable? All that stuff. Like we talk about all of that all the time. And we and every time we get together, we do that. And we've been doing that for about a year. And a, a few months ago, she said something one night that was so profound. She said, I think I'm going to I think I'm going to come to know Jesus one day, which is just that admission alone. I was like, wow, 
man, we're making progress here. But she said something really provocative after that. She said, but it's not going to be for all the intellectual reasons that we talk about. She said, <laughs> for me, I'm thinking like, it, it was a little bit of a jarring, but she said, you know, for me, I, I think I'm going to come to Jesus because when I see like the way you guys live your life. And she said, and I, I want, I want that hope. And I see the beauty in what you're saying. It's not about, it's, I just look at the world. I'm like, man, this is not good. And she can't really make sense of why, but it's like, it's, it's, it's that, it's that transcendent thing. And I think that's, that's important for us to remember. And I think it's what, I think it's what this transfiguration story is showing in a way. I mean, this isn't just an argument for God's existence. This is an experiential grace on a mountain where everything you're seeing and beholding the glory of God. And to your point, they were bored by that. At least, at least initially they were like, they didn't get it. Well, they did yeah, not they understand sleepy. what was going on there. Yeah they, they, yeah. they didn't, they didn't get it. And look, I'm not throwing rocks at them because I'm saying we don't, we have all the information and it's just a daily, like Al's illustration on Mary, it's a daily grind that's hard to reignite yourself, yep. you know, in, in faith. And Jesus's whole point is you've got to think less of yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you think you've got it figured out, that we got a problem. Or when you think you've arrived or you've done something really good or had these mountaintop experiences. Because that's why they were afraid. You know, then it says, so they, were, they went from sleepy to bewildered, you know, let's make a shelter, to afraid. Because then when the cloud appeared and enveloped them, they were afraid because up until this point, when you encounter the cloud, meaning God's presence, not some kind of software, that people died. If unless there was some, you know, you were set up in a tabernacle with rules and that's what the Old Testament was all about. So that's why they were fearful. And then they hear this voice from God, which I'm sure that made their fear worse and fortunately for them he just declares this is my son whom i love which is you know you forget that you see the power of this but the beauty in that and then here's the father that created the universe saying i love I, i i've become a human here he is and i love him which is why he's doing this and you need to listen to him yeah and you would think that it would work, but like they did, they had a mountaintop experience that was kind of a wreck for them. It wrecked them, but what, that's what God's presence does to us. It does wreck us and bewilder us, you know, and it bores us sometimes just because we don't want to deal with whatever we need to deal with. And then they have the valley experience, which is this frustration. They're back to the world. Here's the evil. First thing that happened, back to an evil world. Which I think, yeah, when we when we get there in the next podcast about that, you'll see that. And it makes perfect sense that Luke places it here because it's like, meanwhile, back down here <laughs> where the work is. I mean, the idea is, but I love it, Zach, to your original point about fire and making it personal. Jeremiah and Isaiah talk a lot about quenching the fire of God. And then I love what yeah. Paul said in First Thessalonians 5, 19, do not quench the spirit. There's this idea now that that fire that Jace is mentioning that is talking about now resides in us. I mean, then the idea is, is, you know, look, there are times when that fire is burning bright and, and our faith is leading us and we're seeing it. And there are other times when the fire gets low for whatever reason, we let things get in the way. And that's the idea there. But now it's personal. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And he even gave us a, a visual image of it when the apostles received the Holy Spirit to then impart for the kingdom, what was it? Tongues of fire. I mean, so literally it was on them. Sin and death are worth worth looking at closely, carefully. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, every in a practical way, every time I'm sitting on my couch and I'm listening to somebody struggling, I always go back to their death, burial, and resurrection in Jesus. Because I'm like, well... What what do you what's your view of Jesus? I mean, just like Luke did. Uh, who do you think Jesus is? And they're like, oh well, I've been saved. And I'm like, okay. But what I'm trying to figure out is, did this person die? You know, the old self. Is this person? We're trying to keep that person buried because we lose the fire when 
our our old self comes back and starts right. making these decisions. But it's weird. No matter what you do or what you say or what kind of situation it is, it always goes back to that. It's like is did they you just actually keep coming. Un- did just- you actually understand that or? And they're like, why are you asking me this? I had an experience. That, you know, they're wanting to talk about, you know, why their wife doesn't love them anymore. Or, you know, whatever the situation is, they lost their job. And I'm like, well, who Jesus is in your mind is the most important. That We're not getting off that. To be all in all the time, it's a chore. I remember yeah. when I was young, Dad, every time a young couple would walk in and hear your mom's house, and Dad would say, well, How's the fire burning? Yeah. Remember, Dad, you would always ask that? Yeah. And I knew what that meant. That meant relationship-wise, are you stoking that fire? So but I, I will say that before we go to overtime that I do think the reason Luke put this next story here is because here was a man who had his, you know, he brings his son at, to Jesus, which just think about that. When you, you're putting your child in someone else's care, that's always difficult, especially when there's a problem. And... They didn't sugarcoat the fact that he had doubts the whole time. And so I think that's where we get get off. That's what he was trying to, I think, give the disciples a picture of. You're going to have doubts. There there are opportunities for you then to go secure your faith in who I am. So uh, next podcast, we're going to get into that story this uh, healing of a, of a boy who has an evil spirit, as well as this argument that ensues about who's the greatest. Before we, to tie a bow on this transfiguration, there's two questions I'm going to ask in overtime if you want to follow us over. One is, what was the real purpose of it? Because we've kind of hit it around, but we've never actually said. And another question, a subjective question is, what do we think they were talking about? But the big three is they were having that combo. So we'll talk about that in the overtime as we kind of tie off the transfiguration. We'll see if you want to follow us over blazetv.com slash unashamed. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube and be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.